Hello, world singers. My name is Tyler. And my name is Brooke. And this is Cosmere Conversations. Conversations. Wow. Holy wow is a great way to describe everything that we are feeling because the Cosmere drought is officially over. Oh my God. That's my official hot take. Holy wow. Holy wow. <laughs> Done. Podcast over. We have received Don Shard, the first Cosmere novel in a good long while. A really long while. And it is technically a novel. Because yes. <laughs> what has begun as another Brandon side project? And oh, it's a, just going to be a little novella, just a just a short story in between. Has turned into officially a very short novel. I believe that it's basically the shortest is, a novel could be. Yeah, the so, cutoff is like fifty five thousand words, and, and this comes 60. in at sixty. Yeah, so it's a short novel, and we have gotten our hands on it, downloaded to our Kindles straight from the Brandon website. We have powered through in just a couple of days of reading. We thought, you know, there's still 10 days until Rhythm of War comes out. Yeah, Tyler tried to tell me that we weren't going to be able to finish reading it until like right before Rhythm of War. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like I could read this in a couple days. And he was like, no, no. We can't. You never know how things could go. I was playing the conservative route. I know. <laughs> and it did not need to be played uh, because we still have 10 days to go. We know that. Uh, well, by the time this podcast comes out, we will be at T minus one week. Seven days. If you are listening uh, on the very first wow. day this podcast is available. Congratulations, everyone, for making it through the Cosmere drought. There were times we didn't think we would make it. We were crawling through the desert. But here we are on the other side. The oasis is in sight. We have been avoiding spoilers of all type for Rhythm of War on this podcast. That will remain in effect for this episode. However, clearly... Don Shard spoilers are about <laughs> to happen. Them. Yes. All and spoilers. Consider this whole episode. Everything that can be possibly spoiled will be spoiled about the Greater Cosmere and Don Shard in this episode. Yes. And I want that set up front. Everything except for Rhythm of War included here. Let's just start off with our can't wait to talk about moments. Our really just key things that made us excited from Don Shard or something that we just need to see more of and can't wait to talk about. Brooke, what do you got? Well, I think one of my big takeaways or like something that I keep thinking about from Don Shard um, is the timeliness, I feel, of this book and uh, in particular uh, for us as Americans, this book was released during a very long waiting period in between uh, presidential votes being cast and counted. Uh, and it has been a period of a lot of divisiveness and strife within our country. And 
there were so many beautiful uh, themes explored in this book of like how to navigate differences between people, how to find your way together. And Risen as a merchant uh, gives a lot of great lessons along this of like empathy, her ability to put herself in the shoes of the person that she's trading with in order to find a deal, a compromise. And that deal, you know, sometimes isn't exactly what you wanted it to be, but it satisfies both sides. And so I thought those themes just really resonated with me again maybe just at this particular moment yeah in just this a first reading place. kind of the field feedback um but i really enjoyed it the thing that most excited me about don shard was the really expansive look at the greater cosmere and the big picture stuff where our first yeah. novella in the stormlight archive series edge dancer was almost more like a individual dive into one character lift in that case yeah i mean we did get the sleepless but we got introductions to things yeah and that's what kind of made it interesting and it opened up rashar yes right because we saw different cultures on rashar in edge dancer but i totally agree i didn't think donchard was going to be such a big leap into the greater Cosmere in such a macro way. Exactly. I was expecting more of the micro dive and where you're going to explore Risen in a lot of character depth and maybe a little bit of the Lopin. He was added into the story as well. I was unprepared for how much about the greater Cosmere was going to be in this book. And I think that it's just an example of Brandon's confidence, his overall plans, and like what he is moving towards. But it's just a situation where this book is essential for understanding the greater Cosmere. Yeah, it feels like such a big step. Like Brandon really just leaped off a cliff with this one, did not pull any punches. Like we are all in going at light speed now. And if you think about Brandon's career as a writer in the same way that people would talk about like a professional athlete, you know, whatever sport, boxing or football or whatnot, you have this period of kind of growth and potential um, expansion of their abilities and their skills and, you know, all the awards that start to stack up. Brandon's already achieved that and has grown quite rapidly in his own skill set in his popularity and now he is more in like the elite class where just at any time you have to be worried that brandon sanderson could just drop amazement just down (laughs) from you know wherever he's hanging out and and just deliver a truly remarkable piece of work Anytime that he steps up to the plate, anytime that he's on the field, whatever. Anything and everything that he wants to now. And he is no longer constrained by, uh, you know, concerns about book sales or anything like that. Yeah, he's just doing what he wants and he's at an elite level of doing it. And it's remarkable to see, especially in a world when we know it's probably more likely that you have an author like a 
George R. R. Martin or Patrick Rothfuss or even like a J.K. Rowling where they produce something, it's great, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee that they can produce mm. things forever. It's no promise. It's like you might just get the Harry Potter series. That's all. And like, that's fine. That's great. You can like that and enjoy it. But Brandon continues to show that he's at a level of just like, I can keep doing this every single day <laughs> I, and I can just keep turning these things out. And it's remarkable as just a reader. I've never experienced anything like this. I was talking to my dad about it today and he was so confused. <laughs> he was like, wait, how is he writing a, like two books at the same time? I was telling him how mm-hmm. Dawn Shard just came out and then Rhythm of War <laughs> is coming out. And I was explaining, like, no, he's writing other books while his books are, like, being edited. Like, he's literally just constantly writing. And I think that is his professionalism. And, like, he really, this is what he does, period. Like, he sits down and he writes every day. This is what he does. And that's, of course, taken from other authors. As I said, it's rare, but I don't think it's never happened before Stephen King is another like famous sure, author yeah. who just treats it like, like a job he, he does shows his up work exactly yeah. and he produces at a very high rate and if you're into Stephen King and you could have been a fan for the last 30 plus years yeah, that's something totally. similar that we're talking about is that Sanderson's in at this elite stage where you could conceivably imagine now that he just does whatever he wants for the next decade or two and I'm super excited for it. Now that we have really just talked about Brandon Sanderson the whole time, (laughs) let's talk about Dawn Shard itself because it introduces a lot of characters, some that we know, some that have just been, you know, barely introduced or mentioned. And I think that the best thing we could do is start off with a quick conversation about the characters and then dive into like our favorite moments or the important aspects of Don Shard that we want to take out from the story. Yeah, I think that was another really cool thing about this book that contrasts it from Edge Dancer. Again, Edge Dancer was more of a really specific look at just Lyft, right? And and Wendell, I guess, but that's really yeah, the only but other like, aspect. Yeah, it didn't it wasn't very wide. Mm-hmm. Um whereas this book I love that we got more information, like you said, about a bunch of smaller characters that we have seen but didn't have very much info about. I like that we kind of got them all together in a room and then got to get to know each of them better. Starting with Risen, who we've seen in two, no, three interludes thus far. Um, So, you know, we had a good background on her character. She is the partially paralyzed now master trader recently gifted the most up-to-date technologically fancy uh ship from her previous master which goes by the name wandersail which of course is one of the stories that hoyd wit tells to kaladin in the early books i do wonder if that is going to become more salient I think it moving will. forward. As of Risen I wonder. is very salient now yeah. and will like only become more salient over time. Uh, I think that there is, well, let's hold off on deep speculation before <laughs> we just kind of get through our character lists. 
because Risen is definitely the main character of the story, but it is supplemented and I definitely think added to by the presence of the Lopin. The Lopin. Who at the time of Dawn Shard, when it begins, is a second ideal Windrunner. He has his own spren that he is bonded. It is presents as male named Rua, R-U-A, and they have a super great relationship that it's is very on display throughout this story. And it really just continues to add, I think what you were saying about the depth of just like, okay, the Lopin is a character, but we know that Syl is a fully realized character that we have a lot of like personal connection to. Well, that means that Rua is the same way to the Lopin. Like Rua has thoughts. Rua has opinions. Rua is like Sill, a honor spren in Shadesmar. So, like, there's a lot of complexities going on with Rua, and it's just dabbled with in this story. But I do think it's important to remember that, like, our spren characters are characters as well. Then we have, of course, Cheery Cheery, our maybe kind of a dragon friend of Risen. Definitely seems to be the cover and the chapter images are made up yeah. of a cheery cheery figure. A little lurking. Yes. And we learn so much about cheery cheery yes. and the Larkins overall. I think that clearly there was speculation as recently as our last episode that cheery cheery was a more traditional dragon in the most kind of iconic sense, mm-hmm. like a Smog-esque dragon or a Game of Thrones-esque dragon. And we believe that is because dragons do exist in the Cosmere, yeah. as Frost is our biggest example. It would seem, though, after Donshar, that we can at least update that Chiri Chiri is probably Rasharian-based. Yes, she... Well, Larkins in general, they are related to another species called the Lanceren, mm-hmm. singularly known as a Lancer. Uh, and they, in-world, are thought to be native to Amia. So, you know, whether we can actually believe that or not that is in world the most knowledge we have right now yeah people who live on rashar say that lancers are native to amia and they have the visual similarities our good friend angie reminded us that the crab looking things are probably the things that are native to rashar like if it's got some carapace and looks kind of crab like then it has a high likelihood of being native to rashar I still think that Larkins and Lancerin may be related to Yolan dragons. I in do want to keep like that cousins or yes. something. I think that the connection is made most clearly when the Amians are talking about Cherry Cherry and the guardians of the ancient sins and how they are only everyone is like replacing someone else in that the Amians are replacing the guardians who Cherry Cherry is one of. You could conceivably say that Cherry Cherry 
is maybe replacing the actual first thing, which was the Frost-style Yolin dragons. I would like chalk it more up to like evolution. If mm. dragons came to Rashar way, way, they way back, and then yeah, over time mutated enough that they are now like a cousin species known as Lancers. Both of those things make sense to me. We know that that would be like, that's exactly what happens the theory of evolution is exactly what you just yeah. described. And I mean, we're talking about such a long timeline time. mm. when we're talking about the Cosmere and Rashar that things like evolution are going to come into play. We will talk more about Chiri Chiri in detail and the bonding and her story. We're, yeah. Uh, so let's... More to come. Scoot on over to... Or crab walk on over to our Amian friend who is introduced early on in Donshard as Neekly. I totally should have anticipated there being an Amian spy. Yes. I this book like really kind of took me off guard. I think because we've been in a Cosmere drought for so long and I've been mm-hmm. like trying not to think about it and like (laughs) trying not to be overly excited and things like that that one I totally forgot that in this book Risen was going to be going to Amia freaking Amia I would have been so excited if I had remembered that (laughs) and then totally forgot about the interlude from Oathbringer about the party that goes to Amia and like should have been expecting all of these things. I'm kind of glad that I wasn't because it took me by surprise, which was a great Always better. discovery. Yeah. yeah. But I was shocked when I realized that Nickley was a sleepless. Now, lots of names. Clearly we have Nickley who he goes by when he's passing as a human a uh, longer name that is used when he is among other Amians is Nicolia Sorm, which I'm not going to pretend that I can pronounce that correctly. But importantly, he is labeled the 24th youngest of the swarms. So Nicolia Swarm, Nicolia Sorm, I don't know. He is the youngest of the Amian swarms. He is therefore the best at imitating humans. And I found that where our other very ancient kind of mutating or shifting creature that we've seen in the Cosmere are the Chondra. And they also have this kind of generation thing where like you're born in one generation, the first, the second, the thirds, and there's like a hierarchy. It seems like the Amians have a similar thing, but they don't disrespect the youngers. Yeah, Nicholas I thought Storm that was actually really is cool. very yeah, he's very respected because of his because youth. Because of his youth. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of like we should actually listen to him. He is more connected to the people who the exist humans now. and like yeah, he has some valuable perspective that we can take advantage of. So refreshing. It was quite nice to hear just like, "Oh, yes, you both respect the elders because the elders should respect the skills of the youth. Like it's not just a one-way street. Yeah, it's supposed to be. Ah, uh, back. It's in the great. Room. Who would have thought? <laughs> Normal people. That's who. Neekly, for example, likes humans, enjoys the company of Risen and all of the sailors. Specifically mentions that he likes Dalinar, even though he believes. 
that Dalinar the bondsmith will destroy Amiens or Amia or everyone. I'm not really sure. We'll it's just get kind of, into it. Yeah, exactly. Neekly is the one who is eventually going to be in the final negotiation with Risen and so plays a major role, even though part of that is deception, uh, comes to be you know, one of the key figures of the book and probably the most important Amian that we know of now, with the exception of maybe Arklo. I'm assuming we'll see more of really all of, of these the characters. Sleepless. Yeah. yeah. And then we also have Cord, Rock's daughter. Probably the biggest surprise of Dawn Shard in terms of like what I wasn't expecting and then happened. Totally. Yeah. I kind of had to like remind myself. I was like, wait, this is Rock's daughter, right? Am I like remembering that correctly? Because we really only meet her. Like she's just introduced. Hi, this is my daughter, Cord. And that's it. And then she shows up on this expedition. She's brought along because she is gifted with the sight, the ability to uh, see Spren like her father. And I find her character development throughout this book really interesting. She is a very different uh, female character than we have seen so far on Rashar, and it's really refreshing. I think that there's a lot of potential with Cord, especially because by the end she's Seems a shard like bear. she's going to have a really cool story. Yeah, she's a shard bear. She can see Spren. She is very interconnected to Rock's storyline and has given us a yeah. lot of information about Rock's storyline. So very excited that Cord made the cut as one of these key Don Shard characters. We also have Lopin's cousin, Huyo, who is on the expedition with him. He achieves the third ideal before Lopin, which is hilarious. <laughs> we also have Captain Drawan. Not going to pretend that <laughs> who I... Who knows how to say that? There are basically only consonants in this word. However... Her role is very interesting as the captain of the ship. She has a really like influential role and kind of a back and forth with Risen. And there is power dynamics at play. I definitely think she's going to be a continued presence in Risen's life. So every time we get Risen, we'll keep getting the captain as well. Because I think that the captain is bound to the ship in the same way that Risen mm-hmm. now is. So I just believe that like every time we see Risen, we will also be seeing Captain Draw One. Okay. And then lastly, we have Rushu. I was pretty excited to see Rushu here. She's another one that like we have just heard Navani uh reference to or like speak to a couple of times in regards to some experiments and stuff that they're doing with Fabrioles. She is on the expedition and we get a little bit more of her character, her uh, research and knowledge about Spren and Fabrioles, which is awesome. She was actually sent by Navani with the promise of creating a kind of floating chair for Risen or at least well, playing not around. really a promise yeah. yeah she's just like we'll show you what we know so far exactly and I think that this invention that she is a key part in is going to be important to the greater Cosmere which we'll talk about in a little bit 
And I don't want us to forget, though he's only mentioned, not actually apparent in the story, is the Stim, who is now the trade master, master of trade of Thalena, and was once Risen's mentor, is the owner and main investor in the Wander Sale and everything Risen does. So he's probably not long for this world. However, oh I mean, he's just, you know, old and kind of sickly and stuff. Oh my gosh. So I think Risen is obviously building up to like replace him in the future. I mean, I don't think Risen is going to go into politics like Vistem. Just as master of trade. I could see that as like a long distant future I after think the Risen, jump. After Risen the jump. has like a better, cooler path ahead of her. She, there's no need why she needs to follow in Vistem's footsteps. Let's talk about our <laughs> five favorite moments, character quotes, scenes. Don Shard provided a bunch in a relatively small package that I was just like, this is iconic. This is amazing. And we learn so many different aspects of Risharian lore, Cosmere important significant stuff, and then just great character moments as well. Yeah, to start with something small, one of the first things that just made me go <gasps> is that Novani for the first time is referred to as the queen of Urithiru, which I thought was just a cool moment to see her like presented with her official title, Queen Novani. And then later, she is also called the Mother of Machines, which is just a fucking sweet name. That's how the Amians refer to her. That's yeah. Nick Lee is calling her yeah. the Mother of Machines. They're like, oh, yeah, the Mother, the mother of, of Machines. machines. <laughs> yeah, we know her. So Navani Colin is stacking up titles just like another queen that oh, we God. knew. She's such a baller. I love Navani. I think that clearly the maybe just like position that Navani was placed in near the end of the last book uh, where she was like, you know, a key member of the greater coalition, definitely stepping up for Dalinar, but also like playing a key role even in the early negotiations um, and with like the Azish, it was, you know, one of her letters and essays that won them over. So like she has just had a long run and now it is as if everyone else has realized how awesome and important Navani Colin is. One of the most important aspects from the book Dawn Shard is the question, what is a Dawn Shard? Ooh, we're just gonna dive right in? There's no point. A, we're like 30 minutes into this podcast, so we have had plenty of time to wet the palate and to get people interested. If you're still here, we love it. Now we're diving deep. All right, let's go. Because what is a Dawn Shard? In this book, Risen says what I think like fans had done and Brandon had recognized that they'd uh, done. Uh. She says, I have definitely heard of Dawn Shards before, but in my head related them to the honor blades. Yeah, she's like, I thought it was a weapon. I just thought it was like basically an honor blade. I which believe- I definitely thought yes also. exactly that's what i'm saying i think brandon just watched us all and he was like oh you guys are dumb i need to <laughs> i need to spell this out Let's a clarify. little more clear about yeah the dawn shards are something heretofore unseen i do think okay i want to start with 
what we knew or what we heard about Don Shards prior to this book and then add on what we learn about them in this book. Sounds great. So tell us, what did we know about Don Shards coming into this story? You want to go to the original, The Way of Kings? Yeah, going all the way back to The Way of Kings, there is an epigraph that says, quote, Taking the Dawn Shard, known to bind any creature voidish or mortal, he crawled up the steps crafted for heralds, ten strides tall apiece, towards the grand temple above. And that is a quote from the poem of Ista. Uh, I believe this is a uh, note from Yasna in one of her notebooks, and she says about this, I have no modern explanation of what these dawn shards are. They seem ignored by scholars, though talk of them was obviously prevalent among those recording the early mythologies. End quote. And then we have, I believe from Oathbringer, the quote regarding how Honor felt about dawn shards. In Honor's final days, he was raving, that's the word that was used, to the knights raiding about the dawn shards and claimed that they would one day destroy Rashar as their ancestors had destroyed Ashen. Right there, a whole bunch of reasons to be real worried about the dawn shard. But then he also is like worried in Dalinar's visions that humanity like won't survive without the dawn shards. He makes some comment like, um, you know, I don't know what you're going to do now that we don't have the Dawn Shards or now that they're lost or something like that. What about some Brandon words and remarks on the Dawn Shards? Yes, some official words of Brandon, again, from before Dawn Shard came out. Someone asked uh, Brandon to write in his book when he was signing something about the Dawn Shards that we didn't currently know. And Brandon said that one Dawn Shard is different from all the rest. So just file that away in your little Don Shard memory bank. Keep we don't that know in mind. if this is the Don Shard that is different. Right, from the we rest. have no idea. But there's one that's different from the rest. Another person asked Brandon to write in their book something about. They said, "quote that opposing force," end quote, meaning the opposite of adenalsium, essentially, which we really don't know anything about. And Brandon's answer was that there was a weapon created by the opposition of Adenalsium. So presumably that weapon is the thing that the now vessels used to destroy Adenalsium, but who knows? Yeah, it could have been the key thing or just a thing that led to another thing that eventually set up the vessels. We don't have enough other than this one fan <laughs> who like snuck in yeah. a little bit. Uh, Good about question. The, it's always, how can you trick Brandon? That's basically. <laughs> <laughs> then we get into the wealth of information that we learn about the Dawn Shards much more concretely in the book Dawn Shard. So I think the first thing that should be talked about or mentioned is that the Dawn Shard is best described probably as a force. We don't know the full extent of that force, but it is 
not like a stone or a rock or anything. Yeah, it's not a sword. Yeah, exactly. So don't think of it as something that is physical in its primary essence. I just kind of consider it a force. And when we first are introduced to it, it is inside of a painting, a mural. So it's a force inside of a mural. (laughs) So clear cut. The mural is one interesting because it depicts the shattering of adenalsium, which is not really something that we have seen so concretely on any shard world heretofore. There are very few characters or entities that are Cosmere aware enough to have created art about the shattering of Adenalsium. So that's interesting. And it shows, it depicts Adenalsium as the sun that is broken into four pieces. And each one of those pieces is broken into four pieces. So obviously that makes 16. 16. But I think it's interesting that it's four sets of four, right? Not just 16 different pieces. Four sets of four, which is very similar to the way that the metallic arts uh, charts and like relationships are set up. Yeah. And then it also makes me wonder if the shards themselves fall into categories sort of like that. Like, is there a set of four shards that sort of go together together in similar intents or like, do they fall under a unified umbrella yeah not saying this is accurate but do something like honor cultivation ruin preservation all go together under one category right that is you know that would have its own sort of name or intent if you put them all together we clearly do not have the answer to that question because just a thought it's (laughs) clearly just introducing a bunch of different thoughts that we have from don shard that's all we're doing and In relationship to sort of like the number of shards and the relationship to the metals, Risen says, like, as she is sort of mesmerized by this painting and the Dawn shard in the painting, um, she's counting the shards in her mind, quote, over and over, feeling a reverence to the number, end quote. And then... Another quote from Risen about the feeling or the power of this Dawn Shard force, she says, quote, she felt something emanating from it. Resignation, confidence, understanding, end quote. Yeah, I think that is significant in some way. I don't know how yet, but I think that that, like the feeling that she gets from it means something yeah it's somehow connected to intent i would guess yes and then we find out what the actual intent of that dawn shard is first it's a little bit more nebulous she sort of like hears this voice in her mind saying quote accept it know it change end quote and i thought it was like interesting and notable that the Dawn Shard could not possess her until she accepts it. There's like a pause where it's waiting for her to consent. And after she says yes, then it like possesses her. I just thought that was interesting. It didn't just like take her over. Yeah. It like has a little bit of vampire permission. Vibes. Yeah, exactly. You had to invite it into the house. <laughs> after she invites it into the house, which is her body and mind, 
She says, quote, storms, she thought. What have I done? What you needed to another part of her thought. You have adapted. You have remade yourself. It was then that she grasped in the smallest way the nature of the command inside her, the will of a god to remake things, to demand they be better, the power to change, end quote. So she's having this now internal dialogue not altogether different from maybe what everyone has, but her internal dialogue has become very segmented. It's written like a normal talking to yourself in your mind kind of thing, but I do not think that it is. Yeah. And she I, has a foreign entity. consciousness yes. inside of her. Yeah, a, a force. I mean, I... Consciousness might be strong, but yeah, like... Yeah, and I said entity. I feel like that's also that strong. Something that is clearly not her. Yes, 100%. Not even a different part of her. Like, it's a completely different thing. But I have so much to say about this. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so excited. I think it's super interesting that the intent of this Dawn Shard is change. And it really struck me in particular because after our last episode, we asked podcast fans to tell us what they thought a combination of honor, cultivation, and odium would be similar to ruin, preservation equals harmony. We wanted your thoughts about what these three would be if they all came together in a speculative scenario where maybe Dalinar takes all three of them. (laughs) (laughs) And one that I really loved was from Tim. He said, quote, the combo of the three shards is evolution, the bonds that connect everything, the cruelness slash fury of nature, the ever-changing, ever-growing. Admittedly, this is kind of boring, but the three together seem to represent the change in species, end quote. And so that, like, really, you know, sounds kind of like this Dawn Shard, the sort of primal ability to again change a species or like evolution over time on a really uh grand macro scale and i want to come back to what neekly specifically said clearly as a representative of the amians he's one of the older and more knowledgeable characters having said that probably everything that he says is wrong and not actually (laughs) fully accurate but Neekly describes the Dawn Shard as, quote, the most powerful forms of surge binding transcend traditional mortal understanding, Neekly said. All their greatest applications require intent and a command, demands on a level no person could ever manage alone. To make such commands, one must have the reasoning, the breadth of understanding of a deity. And so the Dawn Shards, the four primal commands that created all things, he paused, and then eventually they were used to undo Adenalsium itself, end quote. So the Dawn Shards are the key thing to understanding Adenalsium's end. We don't know how that they line up that way, but like, this is the most important thing. Yeah, this is the biggest thing. There are four of them, so like, that's good to know. Obviously, we already said one of them is different than the other three. We don't know which one. I am thinking of this and sort of like placing it into the Cosmere and Rasharan uh, mythology in like a Rhea and Kronos sort of place. 
the power that existed before there was God, basically, just like time, space, earth, change, right? Like (laughs) the very, very fundamental and uh, huge powers that make everything before there is God. 100%. I mean, if you think about the shards, most of them are pretty complicated. Honor, passion, slash Right. They're all much more like humanistic Mm -hmm. qualities. Qualities that are uh, closer to us than they are to, you know, the universe. So basically, in your comparison to the Greek pantheon, you would see our shards as like the traditional Greek gods. Yes. The the golden era of yeah. the gods. Yeah, but right. Then, you have like war, lust, yes. beauty, honor, yeah. uh, communication. Or like your Zeus, Aphrodite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And these primal dawn shards may be the forces or powers that come before the shards as we know them. Yes. I think that we can clearly say that if they existed and created all things, and then eventually they were used to undo adenalsium itself, they're definitely, right now, the oldest thing that we know about in the Cosmere. Yeah. And, like, the most foundational thing in the yeah. Cosmere. So nothing at all close to an honor blade. Like, yeah, exactly. an honor blade <laughs> is a child's toy compared to the Dawn Shards. And so it would totally make sense if honor... You know, if we were to believe that Honor was worried and nervous about the both power of a Dawn Shard and what not having a Dawn Shard or the Dawn Shards yeah, would mean. Yeah, exactly. It's like, um, we don't really want these, like, things to be used as toys in the hands of mortals because they are well beyond, as Nickley says here, well beyond the understanding or usage of mere humans. But... They're also maybe the only thing that we can use to destroy a shard. You know, they're probably the only thing that could have been used to shatter Adenalsium. So, like, you know, what are you going to do to kill a god? I think that that could be why Dawn Shard is necessary and essential to not just Rishar and the Stormlight Archive, but the greater Cosmere as well. everything. It just, like, blows it wide open. Now, Risen herself, after she has accepted the Dawn Shard, and she describes it as a pressure, a command, and that idea of just, okay, if it is, as Nickley describes, a command from a deity or a god, but it's older and more powerful, or at least older and more ancient and primal than the god's that we know as the shards like what who gave this intent who gave this command what gave this command nothing yeah that's like my point is that like this it is, is the not out of nothing came these primal dawn shards yeah basically like they are not uh, an intent as we think of them as like the shards because again they are not in relation to humans and us being humans we think of everything in relation to us (laughs) but i think that these are uh like it's less it's less of a command as we would think of it being like because a command that word necessitates a person giving a command i am thinking of them more as like a universal imperative well yes i mean in our universe we would have something 
maybe akin to saying entropy. Entropy is just the idea that everything right. is moving from a state of order to chaos. Yeah, and, and it's like not there is nothing that time. is like forcing that to happen or commanding exactly. that to happen. Happening. It just is. is. Yeah, that's how I think of these dawn shards. So when like Risen is feeling this command, it is just an imperative of the universe that everything will change period like change exists nothing has to cause it or like make it happen it just is at least in this universe maybe there's different universes where they have different primal surges maybe primal orders now we're getting too meta let's stay (laughs) on point because risen actually clearly articulates at the very end of this book some changes that she experiences before we get there i have so many questions about what it means that risen is now a dawn shard yeah we don't have the answers to this if it's even at least a little bit similar to a vessel taking a shard she will be completely transformed and uh subsumed in the intent of the dawn shard like she will just become the force of change like is she still risen i don't know if i can trust her anymore i'm very interested to see what specifically happens with risen and like how she is changed and or corrupted by this event what you just described is what i would say is probably the key takeaway i have a couple of these laid out but the key takeaway of don shard for me is that risen is now the most important person on Rashar and maybe one of the most important people in the Cosmere. 100. Because what exactly as you just laid out, she is comparable to either a herald or a shard or something bigger and more important than a herald or a shard. Yeah, exactly. I would say she is well above a herald. Heralds are freaking child's play. Yeah, because they're limited and they are Rasharian in nature. Dawn shards they are, are clearly bigger yeah. than that. Heralds only exist because of the shards. I so agree. she is much more like a shard, presumably, you know, not exactly the same. But again, if it's anything similar, she will be risen. The person will be completely subsumed into the intent of this dawn shard. And we see that happening with Zazed, the person becoming Harmony. He's also losing aspects of what made him a person and we hear about that in relationship to odium too and Raisa. we don't know this for a fact clearly no, we are I speculating speculating and I, but i would definitely say that risen is now one of the most important people in the cosmere and whatever role maybe it's just mentions in rhythm of war maybe she has a whole another interlude that's going to be part of that story i would assume we're gonna see a lot more of her i could see her taking a book off if like brandon planned this out to mm. do a dawn shard because he's not going to have any risen but risen's yeah. important to understanding so or like, maybe just like but, one small interlude mm-hmm. you know where like not too much happens it's just like checking in with risen whereas an Oathbringer, she got like a super significant interlude i could see it basically going either way that Risen's going to only become more important or if she's going to kind of take a book off because she got her own i can see her really coming to the forefront in the second half oh no yeah six through ten got it yeah 100 percent. i feel like 
that is the period when Risen is going to be the most important is second half Stormlight Archive. But to bring it more uh, back down to Rashar, her there are some literal physical like human changes that happen to her after taking on the Dawn Shard, which are very uh, familiar phenomena, such yes. as colors appearing uh, brighter and people's voices sounding more musical. It is clearly... Well, to to the Cosmere aware, it clearly feels like a connection directly to the heightenings of Nalthus. Yeah, it just screams awakening and breath, which I am fascinated, but also very confused by. I think that this is one of the big questions that like Brandon is putting this in the book for a reason. It's meant to do this and like force us to have this kind of thought process of like what does that mean is it the same as what's on Nalthus is it different than what's on Nalthus does it have nothing well, to do with like, it at all why 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 does a dawn shard have an effect similar to a magic system on a different planet even though she's still on Rashar and we don't really I don't know. I, it does I mean that all of the Dawn Shards have this effect? Or is it like only this specific Dawn Shard manifests in this, this way? Th- yeah, way. One of the things that struck me about the descriptions that Risen makes at the end of Dawn Shard are how close it seems to different heightenings that we see on Nalthus. Now, the heightenings are broken down one through 10. I don't want to go through all of them, but the ones that Risen specifically remarks on, she says kind of that she has perfect pitch because people's voices sound more uh, like melody. Yeah. And so that's the second heightening, Grant's perfect pitch. The first heightening is aura recognition, which is uh, kind of like the ability to life sense or breath sense. Well, yeah, way. it's more like you can tell if someone's invested or not. Yeah. And then the third heightening, which Risen also remarks on, is about perfect color recognition and be able to instantly determine the exact shades of color. And Risen says that everything looks bright, brighter and deeper in color. But it's also important to note that... Uh, there is space in between the heightenings. So yes. each and every breath you gain, you increase your color perception by a little bit. It's not like you only get one level of color recognition at the third heightening. So even people who only have one breath or Are two slightly breaths, better, yeah. Yeah, have slightly better color perception than having one breath or no breaths. Now from what I read and what I understand, that's all that Risen maybe mentioned. However, I have a theory that this is kind of connected to the divine breaths that the returned get. So stay with me here because the divine breath is equal to the fifth heightening. All returned get one divine breath and that is equal to the fifth heightening. So we've already described the first three. The fourth heightening grants 
perfect life sense. This is the more accurate thing that I was saying before. Uh, but that is the ability to instinctively sense other people around you. And then the fifth heightening grants agelessness and basically a resistance to diseases or the normal types of agings. Now, a fifth heightening breath from endowment making someone on Nalthus a returned is considered a splinter. It is endowment splintering off part of her innate power and giving it to a mortal on Nalthus that turns them into a returned and automatically gives them the fifth heightening. Now, if a Dawn Shard is capable of bestowing similar powers, my theory is that it's acting in a way that's basically the same as a splinter of a shard and a splinter of endowment in this case. I simply think that if you are holding something like the Dawn Shard, you are going to have a similar impact to like a splinter or fifth heightening. That it's not just this Dawn Shard. I think that's just like an object of, not even an object. It's just yeah, a force I mean, of power and power in one way demonstrates itself through perfect pitch, perfect color, and is not directly Nothenian in a way. <laughs> you would certainly expect it to change someone, of course. Yeah, I guess I'm, I just want there to be a reason why it is manifesting in exactly the same way as the investiture on a different planet. But I also don't really think that she has an equivalent of the fifth heightening. Like, I feel like she, the way that she describes it, at least thus far, is more like she gained a couple extra breaths and like things are a little bit brighter, things are a little bit more musical, but we don't have any evidence that she has life sense and we don't have any evidence yet that she has gained any kind of agelessness. Maybe we'll discover that in the future. Totally. And I agree that like the only things that she's even hinted at, and it may be what you're saying is just like, even if it's hinting at, it's not the same thing. It's not an equivalent power level. She doesn't necessarily have breath that she can use like magic. Yeah. But she's hinted at least at things in the first, second and third heightenings. And so very interested to see how that develops. Very interested. And if she becomes, you know, more equipped basically as a magic user like a yeah. separate like, force what entirely. other abilities is she going to gain yes. and again like how is she going to change will the person risen start to disappear okay i think that's probably the biggest and nerdiest aspect of <laughs> don shard we just dove right in into the philosophy but there are also great character moments you've already mentioned cord and I want to return to her because not only does she have a good arc going from, you know, basically just a remarked upon barely a rando. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then becoming a shard bearer and possible protector of the Dawn Shard by the end. Yeah, I have possible, some thoughts possible, on that. Possible, yes. Um, but clearly another character of importance. Anyone who's a shard bearer on Rashar is important. But Cord is also the daughter of Rock and 
in her conversations, we learn a bunch she about gives us rock. A ton of information about rock. It's very interesting. I just want to like sit down with her and be like, so Cord, tell me about your father. And she's like more than happy to do so. She's like, well, yeah. let me tell you about my dad. Where I have some qualms all, with him. Where Rock is very like reserved and doesn't He's tell so, us anything. Yeah, closed. Cord is basically just like at all times. I mean, sometimes just declaring things. Yeah, she's just always randomly like, well, my dad. And you're like, wow, you're just going to volunteer information about your father? Okay. It seems, though, like her father is pretty cool. He's got a bunch of stuff going on. A, they both share the ability to see Spren. That is considered to be rare among the people, the Amians. They consider that these seers, these people who are able to see Spren. People with the sight. Yeah. They consider them to be rare and like remark that they don't really want to kill Cord specifically. Other humans, no big deal, really. Like half the Amians are arguing well, to kill all the humans, but everyone is like, we don't want to kill Cord. Cord's like, you know, kind of cool. They say it's hard to kill Knights Radiant and it's even harder to kill one of the sighted. I'm assuming because they both of those groups of people have some kind of uh, deeper relationship with the Spren. Yes, I think yeah. so. But then what Cord offers about her father is just adding fuel to the rock fire. A, she says that her father was blessed by the Spren in a way that even she was not. So, like, she has a kind of cool sight, but her father was even more blessed by the Spren. Specifically, yeah. they strengthened his arm as he pulled the bow of hours. That's direct quote, the bow of hours. And we've previously talked about the shard bow pulling moment from the end of Oathbringer, speculating that maybe this was an example of Rock being a stone ward. And now it sounds like it's something completely exactly. different. Now it's just like, is he best friends with Spren and they're just doing all the work for him? Are they actually strengthening his muscles, which is something we've talked about before not being done by like wind runners? I would assume that it's the same type of thing that would happen if he were becoming a stone ward, but he like doesn't have to create a bond in order for this friend to do it they're just like yeah we'll do that for you we like you rock yeah it's more like a friendly cooperation for a moment yeah you don't have to like sign a contract and make a pact (laughs) (laughs) she also gives him a title which we only hear in the horn eater language and i'm not even gonna try to say it but she says her dad's horn eater name comma the something horn eater comma he who drew the bow of hours at the dawn of the new millennium heralding the years of change end quote so rock is like a mythical figure in- yeah i mean he has some special title the something okay. we don't know what we it can't is just say but- the something this is an auditory medium i'm gonna do it you're gonna and okay. then everyone else will make fun of me and they won't make fun of you brooke so here it is rock's title that cord gives him is fall a la leaky nur fall a la leaky nur that's what i'm going with Not and too bad. it is he who drew the bow of hours at the dawn of the new millennium heralding the years of change is the end of the quote what what did rock do and then the most important thing is that cord says that rock is in a position now where he wants to go back to the horn eater peak so he can face judgment 
for the thing that he did. Why did he have to face anyone's judgment? But also, apparently, like, he is supposed to be fighting and he is, like, refusing to fight. And so she's mad at him for that. There's just so much alluded to about Rock. And because of our previous speculation about him, it just seems like Rock is just the endless depths and they just keep on going mystery. down. Yeah, they just, yeah. Like, every time you look at Rock, it's just like more and more mystery added on top of him. Very much the strong and silent type. In terms of Cord, like moving forward in her own personal uh, storyline, she is very committed to uh, fighting and sort of like uh, fixing the honor of her family or like making up for her father's uh unwillingness to fight she wants to find shards for her people and use them to fight when her father will not and she's a very confident and assertive woman even when the sleepless tell her that she has taken the shard plate that is like reserved for the guardians of the dawn shard she's like "Mm, i mean i'll think about it and get back to you i have some other things that i'd like to do (laughs) okay do you want to run through a couple of other key things and kind of do these as like rapid fire mentions okay yeah because there is so much there is a lot but it's it's also you know just things that are interesting but we don't have a A lot to say about them yeah just like things to pull out and keep in mind for the future okay in the early part of the book when lopin is still at erythiru he in what i'm guessing will actually be a moment that's crossed over in rhythm of war uh that we'll see this from a different person's perspective he meets a rushy prince's entourage and like all the different people who show up and the prince is Talik, who we have met before in Risen's interlude. And one of the things that the Lopin does is he flies Talik up real high and they have a super sweet conversation where a secret is unveiled. A secret that Lopin will not even tell Kaladin about because that would be violating the man's trust. And he wouldn't do that. But we know what the secret is. And what is the secret about Talik? Talik confides in Lopin that his mother, the Reshi king, is bonding a Dustbringer spren. And he says, quote, he can make the very air seem to catch flame and sees a spren that burns through the inside of objects in curious tree-like patterns, end quote. And Lopin specifically says, well, make sure you don't talk to the other Dustbringers. Yeah. Why don't you just come straight to Dalinar and the like, Windbringers? We would like to have your Dustbringer just keep her away from the other ones. Clearly, we've already set up that conflict with Malata and maybe even more of the Knights Radiant as they appear in Rhythm of War. We get a bunch of new information about Spren and Fabrial technologies, mostly through Rushu. Rushu at one point mentions that she was distracted by reading, quote, a new report on the curious interaction between Flame Spren and Logic Spren, end quote. Don't know Fascinating. Why. Need to know more about that. What could that be? 
She also said, quote, Spren, it should be noted, have a curious relationship to our perception of them and their motions. You see both of these hoops in the same frame of reference, so they act together. It's why the motion and curve of the planet don't influence span read. It's proven impossible for someone on a ship with a span read to see themselves in the same frame of reference as the person receiving the communication, end quote. Now I that, thought that was super interesting, blew my mind, and I don't completely understand it. It's very scholarly. It's a little bit scholarly, but it also lines up perfectly with what we know about how investiture works on Cell, specifically with our girl Shy. Because Shy is a person who can not only imagine, but create, shift her personality to become different things through the power that exists on cell and that stamping art that she uses. I think that this is all about intent and the same kind of aspects of a cognitive realm where, you know, the more you think about anxiety or, or what you feel anxiety about, the more anxiety spren are going to exist or fear spren or whatever. Mm. You kind of are manifesting the thing that you are in or how what Rushu is saying how you are in reference to someone or something else so someone who is normal thinks of themselves as on a ship being separate and segmented from the person you know that the span read is connecting to they can't see themselves as the same thing I'm wondering hmm. if you can break that if you are a strong enough person or have, you know, some skills in changing your perspective. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't I don't quite track that through, but I'm interested to hear more, more about yeah, how this all plays together. For sure. Now, because we are on a Phelan merchant ship, we hear a little bit more about the passions. Um, which I am super interested in in relationship to Odium and like potential previous worship of Odium. I don't know. There's something there. Um, there's one quote, the passions, it was said, changed the world, end quote. So some sort of concept of like being able to literally physically transform the world around you from the passions in some way, possibly a reference to a form of magic that is coming through Odium. And then, quote, the men dream terrible dreams full of premonitions and their dread passion creates omens, end quote. Interesting because it's referencing future sight, premonitions, and their ability to, again, like manifest those physically in some way. Yeah, and clearly on the ship in the early part of the book when they're traveling, it's all about different omens that are they are coming across and what is risen doing to fix those omens or correct those omens and eventually the mystery about who nickly is causing those omens obviously I, we see that these quote-unquote omens are not you know anything superstitious they no, are no, no. created by someone well but I, I think, think that yeah what going you're saying back to there being a seed of truth in sort of everything that's presented there's something to this idea well that's exactly what i was saying a moment ago about shy and the kind of perspective that you have like there is a key aspect across the cosmere about manifesting 
and creating something from your thoughts. Mm. And so like, yes, I totally yeah. agree that the passions and these premonitions, these different fears that these sailors have, all of those things are also manifesting in the real world. Yeah, and to an idea we've talked about here before in relation to future sight in the Cosmere, this is sort of an example of, uh, you know, you quote unquote see the future in your dreams, but then having seen that future that makes you behave differently in the world and possibly creates a different outcome. Let's talk a little bit about the sleepless because sleepless slash the Amians Huge slash the gods who sleep not <laughs> have always been one of the biggest mysteries in Rishar. And now we know that they are not limited to Rishar. The sleepless actually exist across the entire Cosmere. And the big question now is, have we met any of these or will we meet any of these sleepless? I don't know. It seems like if... Neekly was the best one at imitating humans. It's unlikely that someone, w like, you know, we missed someone with weird seams and <laughs> tattoos across their face. I think that there's a word of Brandon that there are sleepless on other planets, but for various reasons, they are primarily situated on Rashar. Mm, got you. We could clearly pull out a bunch of quotes about the sleepless, but this one stood out. Quote, they are the guardians of life. They seek to prevent its end, end quote. Maybe giving like a mission statement for our Amians. Yeah, I think that's just an interesting uh, title to attach to them as the guardians of life. Something to file away in the old brain. I do think it's interesting what they say about Dalinar to sort of come back to that point from the beginning. They say, quote, he has made the decision of honor. That is why he will destroy us. He is more dangerous now, not less. End quote. What the heck? I don't know, but he did summon honors perpendicularity. And in Don I know, Shard but like we thought that making the decision of honor would be good. Yeah, you, but, you know, the Amians are very conservative, oh, or man. I see them as very conservative, so they wouldn't like any possible change. I just, I'm hoping that this doesn't foreshadow a reversal like we've been talking about. Someone we think who is, like, doing the good and right thing then ended up being the bad guy. <laughs> Another quote about the sleepless from Neekly is, quote, As I and my kind are not native to this planet, we prefer the term hordlings, end quote, instead of kremlings. Good to know that they are not native to Rashar. Just a good note there. Could that be that they are native to Ashen? Maybe? No, I'm going to say it goes way like bigger Cosmere than that. Yolin or something. See, I think that Ashen at least makes some sense because that's why they're still mainly located on Rashar. Like I think the, they're mainly on Rashar because the Dawn Shards are there. That could be true. And yeah. they're, you know, Protecting bad them. guardians of them. I mean, they let one get away, so not that great. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, they're not the original guardians. That's what I'm saying. They're like, they're makeshift guardians. Yeah, they're, they're, they're just like, uh, all the Lancers are dead. Guess we better step in because we're the only other people in the Cosmere that know about the Dawn Shards. So I think that, Yes, that could be why they have 
located themselves to protect the Dawn Shards. That clearly makes sense. I think that there is also just the simplest answer of why are most of them there? It's because that's closest to their geographic homeland. And that they just came over from Ashen boring. and maybe spread out. I know you, sometimes the boring answer is, is the answer. not right. <laughs> I do want to make one more point about Risen. She is now required as the Dawn Shard to never bind a Spren and become a Radiant. And I'm just curious as to why that would be like such a strong condition of their uh, contract. She is also not possessing the dawn shard remember the dawn shard is a force that is now risen right she is possessed by the dawn shard she, well she is the dawn shard i don't even know if there is a difference between risen and the force of the dawn shard now i there is only one thing there is dawn shard risen <laughs> you know it's it's not a separate thing yeah and what does that mean we don't know but it's a huge question Something interesting I thought was that the sleepless say of Amia, essentially that Amia the way it is now should never have existed. It should have always been sort of a barren wasteland, but that the old Amians knew some way to make it a very verdant, lush place, supposedly through some devices that transformed Amia from a wasteland into this paradise, which immediately to me it sounded like Urethiru, which is yeah, this place exist. where, yeah, like nothing should grow, humans should not be able to live. They're like way up in the cold mountains where they should not be able to get food or sustain this huge population. But and yet at some point they were a able big to. Fabrial yeah, like, mechanism. And there are devices that are transforming this place into a habitable place. So that just like. Yes. Sent a little bell off in my brain. And I think that that lines up with what we know about Erythiru as well, is that as soon as the power or the organization that allowed for that spectacular ability to thrive in an... But as soon as that goes away, everyone abandons Erythiru. Yeah. Because, like, you can't survive there. Everyone abandons Amia because you can't survive there without this amazing either like a radiant power or fabrial power, some type of power that allows for these incredible changes to inhospitable areas. And it sounds kind of cultivation-y. Yeah, it right? does. Like, I wonder if there's something in there. She where, pulled like, back from the world and maybe they lost the ability to... Well, and we don't really know anything about cultivation's magic, really. It seems like maybe surge binding is a combination of cultivation and honor, but then there's like void binding, which is from odium, and does cultivation have her own thing? Maybe this is it? On another note of things that the sleepless say, which I feel like could be its own podcast, <laughs> they talk about Cheery Cheery, giving us specifically the name or or the title that Cheery Cheery falls under. One, they say that they had believed that all of the Larkin were extinct, that they had tried to breed some like knockoff Larkin with hordlings and regular Larkins that didn't work out and never grew. Well, they have them. Those are the Things little Kremlings, yeah, that suck investiture, but they are definitely not the same thing as Larkins. And they let us know that the Larkins were 
the Guardians of Ancient Sins. That's the title. Well, so this is interesting because the Sleepless actually call them the Ancient Guardians of Akina or just the Ancient Guardians. The only place that we hear them called, quote, Ancient Guardian or Guardians of Ancient Sins, end quote, is from the dawn shard that is like a phrase that comes into risen's mm. brain when she's looking at the mural the sleepless don't actually call them that so i think that is like an important distinction to make that this guardian of ancient sin is a phrase that is not used maybe not known by the sleepless i think that is an important distinction because what exactly is the ancient sin is it referencing destroying ad nauseum is it just because these dawn shards are like weapons but then why is the dawn shard calling itself ancient sin let's bring it back to that connection to nalthus and all of the different quotes that support the weird dawn shard slash nalthian connection yeah we know that there is well, many connections now between Rashar and Nalthus in many different ways, both through like humans trading knowledge and things like that. We referenced a word of Brandon a few episodes ago about the color of gemstones on Rashar being important to their powers. And just keep in mind that from Shalon and the Lightweavers, we know that light and sound are intertwined and kind of one of the same thing. In the same respect, Rashar is most known as a planet of sounds and music, and Nalthus is a planet of light and color. That brings it together because the awakening requires a verbal command, so sound, mm-hmm. in addition to the color. So you like need both. And it seems like on Rashar, the same thing is true. You need the color of the gemstone and some kind of intent. So if we were going to create this uber connection between the planets and the shards, it would seem that Rashar and Nalthus fit under this Mm. dawn shard that we have right now. And there would conceivably be two others somewhere. But I would at least say that, like, right now, it seems like the light planet and the... two of four. Yes, exactly. Got it. And so they're, like, the color and light planet is matched up with the sound planet (laughs) and the shards therein. But isn't endowment and... Is there another shard on that planet? No, it's just just endowment. Yeah. Okay, well, we would need one more to make it a... I guess maybe Odium, but he's, he's a strange one to fit in with that threesome yeah there but there are interesting connections and then like we said about risen taking the dong chard there are a few other moments for example lopin comments that quote the others called him silly but he thought the different colors tasted different end quote he says that about like drinking in stormlight from different colored gemstones so another indication that maybe color is a player here what about the Rushu, who is talking about how rubies can be used interchangeably and they have yeah. like a bunch of extra rubies. Well, no, so that's usually rubies are used on span reads. They're 
traditionally used for conjoined fabrioles. Mm -hmm. But she says in this book that they can actually use amethysts as well, that they are not traditionally used, but they work just as well as rubies do. And previously we had thought... so interesting. Yeah, it breaks a little bit. Yeah, in all of the previous Ars Arcanums, when it's breaking down the different fabrioles, it specifically indicates like rubies are used for conjoined fabrioles. Heliodors are used for the person sensing fabrioles. But it seems like that is not actually the case. And again, Brandon has kind of referenced this. Different gemstones can be different colors. Like we think of a sapphire as being blue, but you can have a pink sapphire, a white sapphire, you know, so it just makes me wonder how those like differences and variations are going to interact with the magic and the technology here on Rashar. I think that the only thing I want to say before we sign off is a quick Hoyd sighting, which we don't actually see Hoyd. Yes. But someone mentions what we think is Hoyd. Yes. And that's Cord, who says that the trickster god came through the pool, which we know is cultivation's perpendicularity, and warned the horn eaters about the sleepless. We think that the trickster god is probably Hoyd. Yeah, it's been mentioned before that a person resembling Hoyd at one point came out of the shard pool in the Horn Eater Peaks, and the Horn Eaters have taken him to be the trickster god. <laughs> and I like that idea, a little Loki-esque. Yeah. One thing that we definitely need to mention about Hoyd is a fascinating word of Brandon we might that we be found. breaking news? Okay, unless you're really <laughs> nerdy, we are going to be breaking some news here. It's a very recent word of Brandon. We're recording this on November 8th, and the word of Brandon comes from November 6th. Now, you obviously are in the future, and you may have already heard this, but it is very new information from word of Brandon. Quote, Hoyd was a dawn shard at some point in the deep past. Stop quote. What? <laughs> That's the answer, people. We've been wondering this for the entire time. What is Hoyd? What's Hoyd's deal? Why does Hoyd do X, Y, Z? I'm sorry. Continue. Quote. I mean, I think there's still no speculation. More to Continue. Hoyd, but quote. <laughs> continuing quote. And the reason he even still cannot physically harm people or even eat meat is related to the changes this made to his spirit. Consider this the same fundamental principle as savanthood. Then he does go on to talk about dragon steel, which is his early work that's not part of the official Cosmere canon anymore, but some people have read it and had hints that Hoyd was at one time a holder of a Dawn Shard from that, but it is now more official, more canon, and probably the most important thing that we know didn't come out of Donshard, but came out of the words of Brandon about Donshard. And he has raffled basically everything in regard to Donshards because there is a lot that he says he is still like figuring out in terms of the Donshards, and so he doesn't want to canonize anything before he really solidifies it for himself but another person asked if uh this would make hoyd a dawn sliver 
And Brandon was like, I don't know if that's the words that I'm going to use, but like that's a good vocabulary for now. So Hoyd is a dawn sliver. This is mind-blowing, and we will probably have to do a whole Hoyd-centric episode during our Rhythm of War breakdowns. At least one. I think that this is huge news, though, and the concept of a Dawn Sliver. So, Risen, just to be clear, Risen is not a Dawn Sliver. She is the Dawn Shard. Yes. And I would guess she's probably a different Dawn Shard than Hoyd. That's just my first guess. Hoyd's Dawn Shard, because it affected him not wanting to physically harm people or even eat meat, I would say his is probably something closer to like a preservation. Yeah, or creation or something. Where he just like by design can't end or destroy things or hurt things. So I don't necessarily think that this Dawn Shard that we have learned about is the same one as Hoyd. And I don't think Risen is the same as Hoyt is right now. It's just important to kind of keep those connections separate. So fascinating. And we could go down the rabbit hole, but we've already had you for, I don't know, an hour and 30 minutes or more (laughs) at this point. So we will wrap it up here and come back and revisit what the Dawn Shards mean, what Hoyt's role in Rhythm of War. We're going to come back and revisit all of those things in more detail later but this has been your breaking hoid news update let's wrap up with one quote just for fun what is just something that you enjoyed reading that made you laugh that made you smile there were a couple of moments anytime that you have the lopen as a main character you're probably going to get some fun moments but i actually think that what solidified my love of the Lopin was early on and he has a lot of good moments at the end of the book but early on him and Kaladin share a moment that to me just like it's the epitome (laughs) it is everything that is the Lopin and Kaladin and Lopin are talking about that Reshi entourage with the prince that is arriving and they have this conversation would you play along with me Quote, They're not your cousins. Herdaz is next to Reshi, so we're cousins. Alethkar is next to Herdaz too, Kaladin said. So I'm as much your cousin as those people are. Lopin tapped him on the shoulder and winked. You're finally figuring it out, Gancho. Good job. <laughs> I just love that. Like, that's obviously the point, dum-dum. Like, we're all cousins. Yeah. There are no differences it's between great. us. Ah, so perfect. Also, we didn't get to this in this podcast, but shout out to Lopin's third ideal. Really loved that moment. Any great moments for you or great quotes that you just want to pull out and talk about? Another one from the Lopin, obviously. Quote, don't let people tell you that style is limited, pretending it will run out like stormlight. Style is the best resource in the world because we can make as much of it as we want. And there's plenty, sure, for everybody. End quote. Good words to live by. We have literally now just days. We're finally at the point when my comments make sense. Yes. Until Rhythm of War comes out. Yeah. Plan for the podcast is to release one more episode as a quick recap of this 
theory we've briefly mentioned here and in other podcasts about music or sound cymatics theory on Rashar and in the Cosmere as a, a quick refresher for this newest Stormlight book. That will probably be our last podcast that is 100% Rhythm of War spoiler free. And also before our We're Reading Rhythm of War break. break. <laughs> so there will be a time period where we will not have new episodes, probably about a month. We are going to deliver that music theory podcast probably right around the time that Rhythm of War drops, then expect a break, and then we will come back fully spoiled with Rhythm of War. We'll see you on the other side, friends. Until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. 